Are you ready for the end of the world? This is your community spirit. Show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is your community spirit coming at you on your community radio. WDBX 91.1 FM. My name is Treesong, and I believe we have another guest in the studio here. My name is Laura. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Oh, you got extra ones for us. No, I didn't. Didn't get that one in there, <laughs> but we'll get it in there. But first, well, you know, we got to get some of the the bad news out of the way. <laughs> Then we'll get to some some good stuff going on and some fun community happenings. But if you haven't heard yet, let's get to this first story. Illinois approves secret fracking rules. The secret. yeah, they're currently we well. They they said they approved them. They didn't say what the rules were. Oh. <laughs> they didn't tell us. They told the industry, but <laughs> we don't get to find out till next week. Excuse me. <laughs> well, I guess that's that. It's the best rules that money could buy. Yeah, it came out actually two days after the election. It was very clever to wait until after the election to do these very pro-industry rules. We don't know what they are. We don't know what they are. They could they could be rules saying, you know, you have to be like a million miles away from any houses in order to frack. So, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so yeah, we've got a little story about it here. On the heels of the nation's fastest-growing coal mining rush, a state legislative committee chaired by Sierra Club champion Senator Don Harmon officially unleashed fracking in Illinois this week. So the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules approved the final regulatory rules in secret as legislators essentially dumped the concerns of big green lobbyists in closed-door meetings. Yeah, I wasn't at the meeting, but I heard they just literally showed up and it was part of the, uh, what do you call it, like the consent agenda? Just like, like, oh, we all agree, this is these rules are passed. They didn't even do a, a discussion of it at the meeting. So why did they delay it so long if they didn't discuss it? <laughs> That's a good question. It, I guess it took a month to hear what the industry had to say. I mean, huh. It's kind of embarrassing for the big green groups that supported the legislation and they're like, oh, we want to, we want to have environmentalist voices in the process, so we're going to support this legislation. And then when it comes down to finalizing the actual rules that will govern fracking, nope, they weren't at the table. <laughs> So here's a quote by one of the people in attendance. Uh, this is a organic farmer, Bray Smith, says, We will resist with our bodies, our hearts, and our minds, said organic farmer, Bray Smith. These grassroots groups have continued to hold the line against the long-time denounced fracking regulatory machinations. So there have been the big green groups supporting the regulations, but grassroots groups that have opposed it, sort of, sort of knowing that this would probably be the outcome. Here's another quote. The rules were negotiated behind closed doors without meaningful scientific review, said Annette McMichael with Southern Illinoisans against fracturing our environment. Quote, we are not allowed to review the new rules until November 15th, when they're posted on the Illinois Register. There's no doubt they will be woefully inadequate to protect Illinois residents from the known harms horizontal fracking has brought to residents across America. Quote, it's one more example of disenfranchising citizens, said Bill Rao, environmental justice leader at Illinois People's Action. Yeah, I mean, they, 
they make all of these claims of how, like, oh, we worked with environmentalists on this law, but then, you know, the rules are the practical details governing how it's implemented. And they knew they didn't want any any scientists or environmentalists involved in that because, you know, they, they might slow things down. Yeah, but when you say environmentalists, you're talking about nationwide environmentalists who won't have to deal with it effectively in their backyard, correctly? Yeah. Yeah, they never invited Southern Illinois environmentalists. I mean, they knew better. <laughs> they know you're you're less likely to fool someone if if it's their own health, their own water, their own air that's in danger. You know, if it's someone from Springfield or Chicago and you tell them, "Oh, sure, come to the table with us. We'll do something nice for the environment." Then then they'll say, "Sure, you know, let's do that." But if it's someone whose actual water and health and children are at stake, then they actually read the fine print. <laughs> Well, this is, I mean, it says that the Sierra Club champion is, you know, the chair of the committee, but yet he didn't have any discussion? Yeah, no, he didn't. Uh, from what I've heard, they didn't, nobody on the committee was talking to the other environmental groups uh, uh, during the, this final stage. I mean, they, they probably, they must have gotten their information from somewhere on how to modify these rules, but it wasn't from the, the, Big environmental community or the small environmental community? Will do. So does that mean we get fracked? Well, it means they're going to try. I mean, I've probably heard a couple of people saying already, you know, like, fracking's coming, that sort of thing. But I like to phrase it as they're going to try to. You know, they've got some legal permissions now, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll be successful. There's still people who will object. Well, especially since in this article, the in Illinois Department of Natural Resources, who are supposed to enforce these rules, yeah. admits to being willfully understaffed and in violation of state laws on required coal mining inspections. But, quote, fracking can begin in Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> so. so they can't even monitor the existing industries, and they're like, oh, let's bring in a massive new fossil fuel extraction. Because I'm sure if we can't already monitor the ones we've got, we'll do so much better with a new one, too. But yeah, that's why it's up to everyday citizens to be sure that their own health and their, the environmental integrity of their own land is protected. Now, uh, JCAR, that's the uh, Joint Committee on Administrative Rules, how do they actually get on that committee? They, I don't know the exact process, but I know they try to pick a balance of... Uh, it's legislators who are from the you know Illinois General Assembly, and they pick... You know, they pick a balance of Republicans. So they're and they're they're all politicians. They're all politicians of some sort. Okay. And why do they wait until after the election to talk about and do this? Well, because they did, probably didn't want to get yelled at. You know, whether it's by environmentalists or the industry, they wanted to pass quietly. You know, these rules instead of having it be a big stink right before the election. Because I mean, they are being very quiet about it. If they release the rules and nobody can read the rules. Correct? Yeah. I mean, uh, for a little bit. I for mean, a little bit. I mean, we'll see it eventually, but, you know, you can guarantee that members of industry saw it as they were telling JCAR uh, what changes to make. So, in other fracking related rules, fracking banned in the city that invented it. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> This is a good one. Voters approved a ban on hydraulic fracturing in North Texas town of Denton on Tuesday, making it the first city in the Lone Star State to outlaw the oil and gas extraction technique behind the U.S. energy boom. The vote in the city of 123,000 was highly symbolic 
because hydraulic fracturing, better known as fracking, is widely used in Texas, the top crude producer in the United States. Green Group said the result, which is sure to face legal challenges, served as a wake-up call to the industry. Denton, Texas, is where hydraulic fracturing was invented, said Bruce Benzel, Earthworks Energy Program Director. If this place is in the heart of the oil and gas industry, can't live with fracking, then who can, end quote. So more than 58% of the 25,000 ballots cast, you know, one was four, so the official results showed. Now, I mean, we have in the city of Carbondale, we have banned fracking, but Mm -hmm. I mean, what's use of banning it in the cities itself when they won't be doing it in the cities? It's largely symbolic, correct? Yeah, at least around here it is. I mean, I don't know the exact, uh, I think there, there might actually be some fracking in their cities, but here it tends to be out in the county. And so, you know, city bans are symbolic, but counties can try banning it, but the legislation is specifically trying to avoid that. Um, yeah, and this we, did, we didn't specifically mention this from the last story, too. That's part of why our statewide decision was influenced by JCAR is that the members of the JCAR committee received a lot of funding for their campaigns from fracking-related industries. So you have to wonder, like, they're not listening to environmentalists. They're accepting campaign donations from the fracking industry. $606,000, according to this this one story. Well, one member of the uh, JCAR committee... Senator Don Ham Harmon mm-hmm. actually gushed in at $134,300 worth of campaign cash from fracking-related industries and organizations. Yeah. <laughs> that might explain why he's enthusiastic about the process. Now, there was, I should say, there was one member who, who voted against it on Jake. Well, no, he actually abstained in protest, but there was one person on Jake Carr who didn't favor it. Everybody else was in favor. But, you know, if they're able to ban it in, in Denton, Texas, which is the city that invented fracking, maybe that gives us hope for still having changes in other places, too. Well, that's interesting. I mean, there's 12 members of the JCAR committee, and $600,000 went to them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's $50,000 a person. Yeah. $50,000 bought a vote. Yeah. That's, that's bargain prices, you know. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I was just like... <laughs> I mean, I feel like we should do a Kickstarter and say, like, can we raise $700,000 to not frack Illinois? <laughs> if they just put a, you know, it'd be nice if the industry or if these legislators would just put an official price tag, you know. They're just like, here, they're offering us 600000 Would you like to give us 700000 to vote the other way? <laughs> yeah. We'd have a bidding war between the general public and the oil companies. <laughs> I wonder who would win that, but I'm afraid to find out. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got some other news, though. This is a really big one. This is tar sands industry has lost approximately $17.1 billion thanks to public opposition. Here's some good news for your tar sands blues. Grassroots activism makes a difference. $17.1 billion of a difference, in fact. According to a new report produced by the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis and Oil Change International, oil companies and investors looking to gain from Alberta's tar sands lost a whopping $30.9 billion between 2010 and 2013. Well, they don't know that for sure. That's based on what they could possibly pull out. Yeah. Of course, they're going to largely inflate it so they can write it off on their taxes. Yeah. Well, on some of that, the 
the detailed report might say what exactly is actual tangible expenses and what is like lost that they thought they would have earned from selling this stuff. And I mean, some of it is, I'm sure, lawyer fees and things they actually spent. Right. I mean, a big part of that, they were expecting to earn money instead of continually spend money to build it. They were basically expecting to just push through. Yeah. And then immediately start making money. Yeah. That's pretty rough on your business plan when you're expecting to do a little work and immediately make money and then you have to spend money to fight off the protesters. So part of that is chalked up to fluctuating American oil markets. But $17.1 billion is claimed to be a direct result of all those pesky tar sands protesters and legal challenges. And, yeah, I mean, that's interesting because part of how they decide whether or not to do these projects is is they decide what it's going to cost. And so if they see how much it costs in this instance, they might say, well, let's not try it next time. So, yeah, Steve Kretzman, Executive Director of Oil Change International, added industry officials never anticipated the level and intensity of public opposition. Quote, business as usual for big oil, particularly in the tar sands, is over. The report said market forces and public opposition have played a significant role in the cancellation of three major tar sands projects in 2014 alone. So they are actually starting to cancel projects because they think it's not going to be financially viable. And, I mean, the price of oil has dropped tremendously because of fracking. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the major reasons. Yeah, so it's part of it is, you know, they have succeeded at doing a lot of fracking, so the price of oil has dropped. But then on top of that, you know, they also have people costing them more with doing these protests. It's so. like about half and half, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, one way I look at it is if either one of those weren't the case, they might not have canceled these projects. So people keeping up pressure is actually having an impact. Now, uh, the Keystone XL pipeline delays have cost a lot of money. Um, have caused all kinds of financial trouble for those who thought they were going to make money on this thing. On this thing, according yeah. to this the report, the delays and cancellations have exposed the fact that tar sands investments, once thought to be highly lucrative, are showing signs of financial weaknesses. Yeah. So, um, with growing public awareness and market hesitancy, expansion of tar sands production in Canada will remain contested terrain for the foreseeable future. So, just like, they thought, well, this is like in the middle of nowhere. No one's going to care if we, like, get all this oil, this nasty oil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the First Nations of Canada played a big role in that, too. You know, the indigenous people, they, you know, because they, they, they were participating in protests and some legal challenges, because some of it was on their land. Yeah, it was in their backyard, I mean. Yeah. So they played a major role in helping to shut some of those down. Sorry. So, you know, sometimes action can make a difference. Direct action gets the goods. <laughs> That's an old saying in activist communities. Well, something locally people can work on. The Carbondale Park District launches Make a Solar Splash Kickstarter. The Carbondale Park District has launched a Kickstarter project with the goal of purchasing a solar system for the Super Splash Park Outdoor Aquatic Center. Now, one of the things is, is their monthly bill is supposed to be $9,000 a month if, wow. if they're open the hours that they plan to be. Is it, it has to do with how many people actually use the facility, of course. Yeah. But if it's open the hours they plan to be, the electric bill will be $9,000, you know, based on the cost now. Yeah, that's a lot of electricity. <laughs> so they, they expect to be open next May. Um, 
and they're construction currently constructing the super splash park and you know they not only expect to but the timeline is being good to be open in may yeah but to have a $9000 a month electric bill um the park district intends to purchase um solar system for the super splash park and total cost will be about $110000 yeah. But of course it's dependent on how much money people raise, but they have to raise a minimum of $80,000 with the Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. But this is a perfect chance for anybody who is pro solar and um pro environment to donate even a few dollars. I mean, yeah. Um what's nice about this is of course, you know, if you decide to donate $100 or $500 or um Unless it's actually fully funded at the eighty thousand, they don't take the money. Yeah. So unless the project is actually going to move forward, your money is not going to go to anything unless the project happens. Yeah, that's one of the good things about Kickstarter is it makes sure that your your money is going towards something that's actually happening. So if you just go to Kickstarter and search for Carbondale, there's only like eight projects in Carbondale, and this is uh, the the most serious. I mean. Um, if someone has, doesn't have the money to go all solar on their house or their house is in the shade or, um, they just want to offset their, um, dirty energy they're using now. Yeah. I mean, um, everybody is polluting and here's a chance to, well, buy some solar to offset your pollution. Yeah. Cause I mean, people buy, you know, carbon offsets. On, you know, big projects somewhere else. Yeah. Well, here's a chance to buy renewable energy right in our backyard. Yeah. You can buy it right here. And if, if you don't, then that's going to be a lot of new fossil fuel use. Cause if they're just drawing on the grid, yep. you know, it's going to draw a lot of fossil fuels. I like too that they're trying to get, they've applied for a $30,000 grant that will help to supplement it and it, it'll be an educational component. Well, yeah. I, I really like solar projects with educational components too. Cause They've got all these kids who are going to be coming to the pool to cool off and have a little water, <laughs> but then they can also see, oh, this is solar powered and what, what solar energy. And the park district is, you know, a green nonprofit. So yeah. whatever money you do give is a tax write off. Yeah. So, and of course, the, I mean, they're green and they're educational. So of course they're going to have an educational component to it. It's not just going to save them money. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so a chance to save the environment and save money for our region and, well, educate people. Yeah. What yeah. more can we ask for? Chance to let the sunshine in. All right. So we've got some holidays and happenings coming up. Today is Bittersweet Chocolate with Almonds Day. All right. I'm going to get some. Like... <laughs> yeah. I usually eat chocolate anyway, but I'll eat it with some almonds. Today. So Saturday is Cook Something Bold Day. Ooh. Not bald, bald. Not bald, bald. <laughs> it's also Dunce Day, so if it goes wrong, you get to wear the Dunce cap. <laughs> Sunday is Chaos Never Dies Day. You've got that right. <laughs> Just like Monday is Forget Me Not Day. Okay. And Tuesday is Veterans Day. It's also Young Readers Day. Chance to encourage, encourage reading among young people. Thursday is National Indian Pudding Day. Sadie Hawkins Day and World Kindness Day. And, um, November is, uh, National Sleep Comfort Month, Peanut Butter Lovers Month, and Native American Heritage Month. Yeah. So. It's a good month. 
All right, some happenings coming up. We've got the Carmondale Community Farmers Market. They've gone indoors now. So they're coming up on Saturdays from 8 a.m. To, to noon. And they've got all sorts of local goodies, local foods, crafts. And that's over at the Carbondale Community High School. Well, before we forget something that starts today. Oh, yeah. The, Sil- today. the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was 50 years ago. And there will be an exploration of its impact on the arts and culture in America. Today and tomorrow at the Carbondale Civic Center. Um, today is the opening session at 7 to 9 p.m. And then all day Saturday... From 9 until 4 o'clock, there is a whole series of speakers and art and, um, man, there's, my, the thing I think will be probably the, the thing I really want to go to is the, the stage company is going to do a series of little, um, playettes or minettes or, I don't know, short little um, plays, yeah, like uh, for a Maya Angelou tribute. So, yeah, and a lot of this is, you know, this is really locally rooted stuff too. Like we know about the civil rights era in general, you know, the Civil Rights Act being part of that. But th- this is a lot of local content too. Like I'm recognizing these pictures and these names. It's looks like really good stuff. Yeah. So, ten million pieces and in interactive performance, hands-on for young artists. The Colors of Us, ages three and up. That'll be at one thirty. Man, okay. So. Yeah, so for the full schedule, you can you can visit carbonalearts.org or email info at carbonalearts.org or call 618-457-5100. And all the programs are free and open to the public unless you want to buy lunch. I mean, mm, yeah. you know, but the actual program is completely free. And again, that's the Civil Rights Act of 1964, a 50-year commemoration, exploration of its impacts on art and culture in America. Carbondale Civic Center, all day tomorrow, and um, the opening session tonight, 7 to 9 p.m. All right, carbondalearts.org. Good times. Some other happenings we've got coming up. Shred day and more. <laughs> this is the day all those sensitive documents you've got, whether it's just your bank statement or, you know, those secret files you don't want anyone to read. It's time to get it all shredded. It's coming up Saturday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., the Jackson County Health Department. Now, it's not just for shredding documents, too. It's also accepting other items for recycling or reuse. I mean, the confidential documents they're shredding. They're also taking compact fluorescent bulbs, not the tubes, or any incandescent bulbs, or just the CFLs. They're taking eyeglasses, holiday lights, mercury thermostats, or thermometers. And this event is not open to businesses, schools, governments, or other large generators. It's just for, you know, people, individuals who want to have a place, a good place to put this stuff. Yeah, because none of that stuff you can throw away. Well, papers you can, but. Yeah, but better to n- recycle. Now they can shred it and recycle it, so. Yeah. Um. And part of it, this is the initiative to try to make it, I mean, they're trying to reduce what goes to the landfill here in Jackson County. And I forget the actual number, how much they're trying to reduce it. But, um, you know, the ultimate goal is zero waste to the landfill. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, recycljacksoncounty.org 
That will, again, be at the Jackson County Health Department, Saturday, 9 till 1 o'clock, Shred Day and more. I can read. The Legacy Must Go On, one night only, Saturday, 6 to midnight, at the Carbondale Elks Club. This event will take place at the Carbondale Elks Club, Saturday, from 6 to midnight. The suggested attire for the evening is denim and diamonds. I noticed that most of these fundraising events, they allowed the women to dress up and the guys to not. <laughs> Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah, that's It's just like most of these ballroom things and fundraisers, there's like, you know, hoedowns and de- denim and diamonds, you know, so the guys don't have to dress up or yeah. they usually actually dress down. Yeah. And the women's get to dress up. So <laughs> uh, tickets are available featuring a soul food buffet, silent auction entertainment by Big Larry. Sharon Clark, Richard Ripley Pryor, James Barnes, Shady Frick, King Juba, and Mel Goot. The proceeds from this event will be used for program operations and to continue the mission for kids and students in the I Can Read program. Yeah. Very necessary. So every ch- student in the program receive a book and a uh, positive incentive gift at the annual positive incentive celebration held every December. So, for more information, you can call Marlene at 529-3645 or Margaret Nesbeth at 457-4995 or cell 559-5004. Or you can show up at the Elks Club Saturday yeah. at 6 p.m. to midnight. Should be a fun time. That's a lot of really good musicians. Yeah, that sounds like a really good time. And it's a really good program, too, you know, teach. Teaching children to read and teaching them enthusiasm for reading, that's a, at least should be a cornerstone of our society. All right, we also have coming up Native Foods Harvest Potluck Dinner. That's on Sunday at 7.30 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center. This is the annual Native Foods Harvest Dinner. This community event will give students, community members, and visitors a chance to come together and celebrate the bounty of this year's harvest. The menu for this year includes a wild rice bison stew and corn squash soup served with cornbread and sumac berry drink. If you'd like to contribute to the dinner with an authentic Native American food dish, you can contact 618-201-4090 to talk to them about what constitutes an authentic Native American dish and what they may be looking for help with. So that's a really good dinner. I, it's it's good to celebrate the harvest, and it's good to have it like a native foods harvest as well. To remember, you know, to emphasize the importance of celebrating the, the harvest and also the people who originally lived in these lands. <laughs> so it's a really good learning experience, too. The SIU Sustainable Vegetable Farm, their campus market is Wednesdays from noon until 4 p.m. at the Fainer. Breezeway, and the Ag Building. There you go. Two campus markets on Wednesday. And one exciting thing, the the Labyrinth Peace Garden Restoration Group, Saturday, November 15th at 1.30 p.m. at the Guy House Interface Center. Um, new members are welcome. And one of the things this group has just recently done is put up a big Buckminster Fuller geodesic dome above the Labyrinth. Yeah. So, the next full meeting of the Labyrinth Peace Garden Restoration Group is Saturday, November 15th at 1.30 p.m. at Gaia House. Yeah. It's an exciting time for the Labyrinth Group because there's all, I mean, the dome itself is finished now, but there's all sorts of 
other things to do, like maybe put up some new signage at a special event and do, you know, beautification. There's still plenty of exciting things to talk about over there, so you can participate on on Saturday. And one exciting thing is I think this weekend's going to be really, really nice. So I think anybody want to go out into the woods and stop at a few wineries and enjoy, you know, nature, the wine nature? Yeah. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. Wine's a part of nature, too. <laughs> but, yeah, it is. I mean, it's starting to get a little chilly, but it's beautiful out right now. I mean, you know, chilly but sunny. One thing I forgot to mention is uh, Bob Moses, teacher, community organizer, freedom fighter, will be speaking Wednesday, November 12th at the SIU Student Ballrooms, and that is free admission. That is next Wednesday at 7 p.m. We the people, constitutional personhood in our time. So, again, this is the 50th anniversary of the Freedom Summer, and so SIU has brought um, Dr. Moses, who was one of the primary organizers of the Freedom Summer. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's important to learn that history, so I'm glad he's going to be speaking. All right, well, we did it all in the time allotted. Wow, we pack it in. Yeah, it's been a wonderful, exciting, informative episode of Your Community Spirit. I hope you've enjoyed it at least half as much as we have. If you would like to listen to it again, go to yourcommunityspirit.org or email us info at yourcommunityspirit.org and we'll put whatever you... Not anything. I mean, you could email us things you didn't like about the show, but yeah. if you like to email us happenings, we like to know that they're happening. Yes, and we can help make them happen by announcing them on the air. All right, well, we will see you here again next week on the radio. In the meantime, enjoy the wonderful weather.